Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. I want to welcome you, welcome everyone watching on our YouTube live channel as well. I want to give a special shout out to Alex. Uh, where are you, Alex? Right there. Great job in your bar mitzvah, Alex. Grateful to uh, have your family here. I know your mom's watching a, a live stream, and uh, it's, it's great to have you all here. Uh, we have been in a uh, extended series on the book of Proverbs, and today is the last part. Today is part 20 and the final part of our series on the book of Proverbs. And we're going to look today at the, the theme of authority and submission in the context of the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Turn me to Proverbs 23. We're going to do a number of passages from Proverbs 23. And the text says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Don't withhold discipline from your children. If you punish them with the rod, they won't die. Punish them with the rod and save their soul from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what's right. Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she's old. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son delights in him. May your father and your mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Amen. We all know we're living through a time of increasing social disorder. Uh, Age-old institutions that form society are breaking down at a rapid pace, just just like uh, marriage uh, and the family. Uh, Marriage is now being redefined to include same-sex couples. There's even a push for for child marriage and and polygamy. Uh, Ironically, uh, these radical liberals are pushing for a system similar to 7th century Islamic theocracies. (laughs) And if you think that, that with, with child marriages and polygamy, well, if you think that's crazy, we can't even define anymore what a man or a woman is. And there's a delib- deliberate blurring of the sexes. We have emasculated men. We have masculine women. We have a fluid transitioning between the two, denying God's very creation order where he made them male and female. In addition, we no longer even have national boundaries. as people that just stream across. Crime is rampant. Criminals are no longer prosecuted or, or even jailed. Even violent felons are let out without bail and into this revolving door to commit still more crimes. Parents are no longer even allowed to know what their kids are being taught at school or to have, have any say-so over what pronoun, pronouns are used or over objectionable curriculum filled with Marxist CRT propaganda and, and transsexual indoctrination. Our society is falling apart and no longer has a Judeo-Christian moral basis or consensus. Much of the root cause of this can actually be traced to the breakdown of the family and the lack of fathers in the home and proper male role models. Uh, On the overhead, the Bible says it's in the family that two things happen. First, you can learn in a good family that you're loved uh, and you learn self-respect. 
And second, inside the family, you learn to submit your own personal needs to to the needs of the whole family, to the needs of the whole. And therefore, you learn self-control and and, and deference and serving others and deferred gratification and and self-sacrifice and humility and, and social behavior. You learn how to be concerned about an entire community instead of only your own self. Uh, and on the overhead. And if, if therefore, if the family breaks down, society breaks down. And if you read the scriptures, you're going to see there's always a connection between the family and society. Because the family is the building block of society. So, for example, in, in the Ten Commandments, well, which, by the way, we read last week at Shavuot, if you were here, it doesn't just say, honor your father and mother. Look at Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and mother so that... You may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And the main message here, by the way, isn't simply that if you honor your parents, you'll you have a long life. It's not just that. But look at the parallel passage in Deuteronomy 5.16. It says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well for you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The emphasis here is that if you don't honor your father and mother, Things will not go well for you. Uh, there'll be a breakdown. Uh, this won't be a safe place. Uh, there won't be a place where you can live long and happily. Your society won't work if the family doesn't work. Whenever the Bible speaks about honoring your father and your mother, it always says, do this so that society will work. In the Hebrew scriptures, uh, children are being malicious against their parents or children being, being violent against their parents, uh, was punished by the whole community. In serious instances, it was actually a capital offense. It was not a private crime. It was a public crime. The community saw assault on the family as an assault on them, on the whole society, an assault on the whole community. In contrast... Uh, In America and in Europe in the past, uh, if a husband assaulted or or raped his wife, it was seen as hands-off. It was a private issue, uh, a domestic issue. It wasn't a public crime. It was seen as as a private crime. But that was totally unbiblical. It used to be, you know, traditional in our culture not to bring charges against a man for raping his wife or assaulting his wife. But it was not biblical. So this is one of the few instances where our modern laws have actually become more biblical uh, in this regard. Uh, At least this this is one of the few instances where we actually have progressed and become more biblical. Because the Bible sees assault within the family. If you abuse or misuse or assault inside the family, it was seen as an assault against the public good. In Israel, if a child was assaulting his parents, the child was punished civilly. A society that does not support the family or society that lets the family unravel uh, and, for instance, uh, gives government schools more authority over children than the parents, that society is supporting its own unraveling. And sadly, that's where our society is heading if things don't change, a complete unraveling. And so you have today liberal, progressive, woke uh, school board members Uh, and academics, uh, and the media, uh, and universities, and talk show hosts, and Hollywood, and government officials, uh, and the establishment elites, now publicly saying that the traditional nuclear family is passe. 
Uh, it's an anachronism. Uh, it's no longer relevant. Uh, in fact, if you go look at the official uh, BLM website, uh, it says exactly that, uh, quoting Marxist anti-family sources. These liberal establishment elites uh, and LGBTQ spokespeople uh, and radical feminists say the traditional family is nothing more than an institution of oppression, uh, of abuse. They say the traditional family of a husband and a wife in a legal covenant marriage relationship raising children, they say that whole approach needs to be abolished. And the state should raise and educate and control the children. Big Brother should be in control. That we should experiment with new family forms. These radical anti-God groups are gaining more and more power and influence and control in America every year. And they're saying the traditional family, upon which all human societies have been built for thousands of years, let's just scrap it. Try something new. Are they crazy? The Bible says, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long, that your children may live long, that you may have a healthy society. The family is the place where people learn to know, and the only place where they can learn to know, in a good family, that they are loved, that they are worthwhile. The only place you can get that kind of validation is within a family. Uh, and the only place you can learn unselfishness and, and putting others first is in a family. The society that lets the family unravel lets itself unravel. Last week, well, we read the Ten Commandments. All of human relationships, God says, all of life can be boiled down to ten principles. Uh, on the overhead, uh, the first four commandments are how we relate to God. The last six are how we relate to, to each other, to other people. And the very first of these six, the first of how to relate to others and get along in human relationships is honor your father and your mother. Because the family is first. The family is primary. It's the most important of all human relationships. If the family does not work well, society does not work well. Now, of course, there's always going to be bad families, uh, dysfunctional families. But if the family as a whole doesn't work well, there's no longer living long and happily in the land. Uh, on the overhead, two questions, if all this is important. Uh, number one, what is a family? <laughs> uh, and we're going to actually answer that, not like what is a woman or they don't answer the question. We're going to answer it. <laughs> Number two, how does the family work? So first, what is the family? What is the family? On the overhead, here's my definition. The family is a learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty that tells us both the form and the content of a family. And this helps us today when the whole idea of the traditional family is being questioned and undermined and assaulted. It helps to understand what the biblical view of the family is. A family biblically is based on a lifetime of covenant loyalty. Look at Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Don't despise your mother when she's old. This tells us first that families are built on lifetime covenants of loyalty. The verse says, even when she's old, she's still your mother. And the overhead, it starts at birth. Listen to your father who gave you birth. Don't despise your mother when she's old. A family is based on a covenant. 
A family is based on a binding and permanent commitment of loyalty. The traditional view is that a family is whoever you're simply related to. Uh, Biology is everything. That's, for example, why in societies that have not been influenced by Judeo-Christian biblical worldviews, such as in the Far East or in Islamic world, adoption is is not really much of an option. Because the all-important thing is the blood. Uh, This is my flesh and blood. That's what makes a family a family. That's the traditional view. The modern view is the other extreme. The modern view goes off in a very different direction. The modern view is anyone who says they're a family is a family. Uh, Any consenting group of adults who get together and decide to have a joint living arrangement that will, will meet their needs is a family. But the biblical view is counter to both of these. The Bible says what makes you a family is a covenant of lifetime loyalty. A lifetime covenant. Sticking with someone, saying, I'm for your welfare under all circumstances till death. There's nothing like Messianic Judaism or biblical Christianity to show you the beauties of adoption. Yeshua, in the most incredible prayer ever prayed, he says this, in John 17, he says, in essence, I'm paraphrasing now, he says, Father, I'm your only natural son down here. I'm your only natural born. I'm your only begotten. I'm the only natural child you've got down here on earth. But I ask for these, my brothers and my sisters who have faith in me, I ask that you would adopt them into your family. I ask that you would give them rights as children. I ask you would bring them into our family. And then he says, I ask you, you would love them even as you love me. Bring them into unity with one another. Look at John 17, 23. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me. How? Even as... You've loved me. You love that you would love them even as you've loved me. Astonishing. Think about this. Try to wrap your mind around what that's saying. Uh, what makes a family relationship uh, isn't the, is not the substance. Because we're not divine. We're not part of God's divinity. Yeshua is divine. God the Father is divine. The Father and the Son, therefore, they have a substantial relationship. They're of the same essence, the same substance, deity. And the overhead. But notice that Yeshua says to his father, even though I'm your only natural child, I want you to love them even as you've loved me. What makes a family a family is a covenant. What makes a family a family is agreement. What makes a family a family is commitment. And it's a binding, permanent commitment. And as a result of that, God loves you if you are a true Yeshua follower even as he loves Yeshua himself, his only begotten son. And that's astonishing. What does that even mean? What's this great gospel that we can be sons and daughters of God and that he'll love us even as he loves his only begotten son? This is the amazing result of the gospel. What are the ramifications of this for the family? What makes a family a family is this covenant of commitment. Uh, not merely the fact that you're related by blood. That's the traditional view. And not just because you happen to like each other and sign an apartment lease together. <laughs> and that, that's the modern view. That's not what makes you a family, biblically. What makes you a family is from birth to death, till death do us part. And there's two kinds of covenants uh, that create a family. First, of course, is the marriage covenant. 
the Bible teaches. Two people could, can come together and they can say all sorts of wonderful things about each other. But the question is, are you willing to make yourself legally accountable for the welfare of the other person? Till death do you part. Permanent, exclusive, lifetime, loyal commitment. Now, over the years, I've spoken to couples who are living together, uh, but not married. And often they say, well, we love each other just as much as the married couples love each other. A piece of paper means nothing to us. So I ask them, well, why haven't you gotten married then? And often if you push them, you get an honest answer because I want out if I want out. That's not a family. That's not fully committed to one another. They're not fully resting in each other. They have not made themselves vulnerable to each other. They haven't said, till death do us part. You're not a family until there's a permanent legal covenant commitment. When someone says to their partner, I'm not going to give you this piece of paper, but trust me, I love you just as much as those people who have given each other the piece of paper. That is a lie. You don't love them enough to say, I make myself vulnerable to you. You don't love them enough to say, I legally commit and vow before God for you, for life. Till death do us part. On the overhead. I'm sorry. Yeah, on the overhead. Secondly, uh, there's also a kind of covenant between a parent and a child. Uh, Thank you. Uh, But that's very different than the marriage covenant, the covenant between the parent and children. Because in a marriage covenant, you stay interdependent all of your life. But the purpose of a parent-child covenant relationship is you love the child and make yourself absolutely loyal to that child for the rest of their life. But the whole purpose of parenting is to mature that child so they don't need you to direct them after a certain stage. You teach authority to that child to get them to the place where they don't need your direct authority and supervision and control anymore. But there's still nonetheless a lifetime commitment of honor and respect and love of a child for his or her parents. It's administered differently than marriage than a marriage covenant. Husbands and wives, they don't go through these stages in which they become less and less dependent on each other. No, not at all. But parents and children are supposed to go through these stages. But it doesn't mean the covenant is over. Proverbs 23, 22. Don't despise your mother when she's old. She's still your mother. You honor her. You respect her. You love her. You treat her as weighty and significant. What makes a family a family is the covenant. Not the blood, not the apartment lease, not the traditional Eastern or Western view, not the modern standard. It's the covenant commitment of lifetime loyalty, the making of yourself vulnerable on the overhead. So, so number one, the form of the family is the covenant. But number two, the content of the family, uh, the, the, uh, the reason, the, the essential reason that God created families, the essence of what makes a family a family, the essence of what makes parents parents is this, teaching your children, teaching them right from wrong, teaching them what's important in life, teaching them what life is all about. That's what makes a family. That's what a family is. Uh, again, on the overhead, it's a learning community based on a covenant of lifetime loyalty. What's the family for? What's the essence of a family? Teaching the children the moral order of the universe. And this biblical view 
pushes against both the traditional and the modern view of the family. The traditional view of what a family was about, the traditional view was all about ownership and power and control. Uh, in most societies in the past, and in, sadly in many societies today, even especially in the Islamic world, the father owned the children. The father could kill the children. Uh, we see this in the Roman world, where the fathers would leave the unwanted babies out to die. We see it today in the Islamic world, uh, with the so-called honor killings. If a child disgraced or shamed or dishonored their father, such as by mirroring outside the faith. And, and no one from the outside is able to do anything about it. Why? Because the father has complete control over his family uh, in this view. Because in traditional societies, that's what a family is. It's power and control. Now, by the way, that is completely unbiblical. But nonetheless, that was the traditional model. Now, in modern societies, uh, in the West, there's been a complete swing away from that to the other extreme, uh, where, where the husband and the father have no authority at all. And today's liberal elites, uh, they say that parents should not try to impose their beliefs on their children. Parents should not try to tell their children what's right and wrong. Parents should not have authority over their children at all. The modern, progressive, woke view is that parents would simply give their children emotional warmth uh, and love, but not try to impose their values or their worldview, which, by the way, they say is the job of the government-run school. The modern view is that parents just give emotional warmth, just accept your children as they are under all circumstances. You support them, you're emotionally warm to them, you let them decide what they want to do, what's right or wrong for them. You let them decide what their values are. Uh, A famous liberal think tank, the Carnegie Institute, uh, came out with a paper called All Our Kin. And in this paper, they say this, parents don't know. They don't have the expertise to train their children on what's right or wrong uh, and what life is all about. So they need to give their children to us, the experts. So parents, you just create an environment of emotional warmth, get them in all the right schools with all the right experts, and they will be the ones to properly socialize your children. But the Bible says no, a thousand times no. The scriptures say neither despotic control nor mere emotional warmth is what makes a family a family. But what makes a family a family is that parents teach their children. Just like we read every week in the Shema Hafta, where it says this in De- Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, it's on the overhead. It says, these commandments I give you today to be on your heart. Teach them to your children. Talk about them all the time when you sit down uh, at home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Parents, here's an example. Catechize your kids. Nobody does this anymore. Perhaps start with the easy statement of faith. Go through it together as a family, verse by verse, line by line. Discuss it together. What does it mean? What do we believe? Catechize them. On the overhead, parents are to teach their children what's right and wrong, what's important and unimportant. You who are parents out here, and you, by the way, who are future parents, your job is to teach your children what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. There's no way that little children can even begin to make choices in life and they, unless and until they already have a rationale, they already have a worldview, 
Uh, what's worth living for? What's worth dying for? Children are not going to be capable of reflecting on and developing this on their own. Parents, and you who are going to be future parents, you must instruct them. You must guide them. Do not hand them over to the secular government and the government schools to do this for you. It's your God-given responsibility. It's it's your God-given responsibility as parents to preach the gospel to your children, to teach them what's right and wrong according to the scriptures. The public schools, what will they do when you turn them over? They will teach them relativism uh, and secular humanism and socialism uh, and and critical race theory uh, and and diversity, equity, inclusion uh, and sexual permissiveness and perversity and immorality. The secular viewpoint taught in the public schools is that all things are relative. And that you, you've got to find your own truth, whatever is true for you. There is no objective morality or truth. There is no God, the government says. Is that what you are going to let your children be indoctrinated into? Brainwashed in? You as parents are responsible before God to teach your children Biblical truth, the gospel of Yeshua the Messiah, and you must instill in them biblically what is right and wrong, regardless of what the government schools say. Thank you. Teaching your children the gospel and the scriptures must come first. And discipline and love are the key means by which you do this. They're the means to the end, and the end is to train up your children in the way they should go. If your kids go into the armed forces, for example, uh, the armed forces do many things well. Uh, it can provide them a place to live, uh, provide a roof over their head, and, 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 and uh, provide meals to eat. It, it, it provides discipline, of course. But what makes a parent a parent isn't control. It isn't providing room and board. What makes a parent a parent is through hundreds and thousands of ways you teach them what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. Now, what if your children have grown up and, and, they've, and they've rejected your values and your beliefs? Has your parenting been a failure? What if you're a child and you say, well, I don't like the values and beliefs my parents tried to teach me. I've gone my own way. Does that mean that this is your child, that your family was a failure? No. If as a parent you tried your best to teach your children biblical principles and values, you are not a failure. Your failure, if you fail to teach them anything at all, and just abandon your responsibility as parents. Your children, your children will lose respect for you, not if you teach them what's right and they later reject it, but if you don't teach them anything at all, or don't teach them what you really believe. What you say you believe is not what you really believe. Or, or, or if they see what you say you believe isn't what you actually practice. Or if they see you don't believe anything at all. That's what kills a society. Not if your children know there's a moral order and they reject it and decide to follow a different way. But what destroys a society is when children grow up not thinking there's any moral order at all. And that happens through hypocrisy. That happens through inconsistency. Uh, So, for example, if your parents taught you some inaccurate things uh, about what was right and wrong, uh, that doesn't mean that they were a failure. 
But if your parents were hypocrites, if they said they believed one thing and they lived in the opposite way, then they failed in their office. The same thing for you who are parents. You don't need to obsess over the possibility, uh, what if my kids grow up and they don't believe what I taught them? What the Lord is calling you to do is to teach them what you believe biblically and to show them how you live. Show them in how you live that you are living consistently with your beliefs, that you practice what you preach. That's the most important thing you can do for your children. And then the purpose of teaching your children is then to finally get them to a place where we see here in Proverbs 23, verse 15, where you can say to them, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will be glad. One of the purposes of a family is to get the children to the place where you've taught them properly what's right and what's wrong, so they don't need your direct teaching and authority and oversight and control anymore in the same way. We see that a very similar concept, by the way, in Galatians 3, verse 24, a controversial passage where it says this, the law was our schoolmaster, our guardian, until Messiah came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying the Torah held us in check, kept us moral until Yeshua came, gave us guardrails. But now with the coming of Messiah, we don't need the outward law to keep us in control, keep us in check, because it's because the law is not written on our hearts. We keep it instinctively and intuitively. That the new covenant is now writing the Torah on our hearts, not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. So, for example, a young child... They've got to be told not to run across the street on their own, right? Uh, you've got to look both ways. But when he's older, he doesn't need to be constantly told this anymore, does he? He does it automatically. He's, in, he's internalized uh, the rule. He, he knows what to do. He doesn't have to be told it all the time. In the same way, if your child is properly taught, he eventually gets to a place where he no longer needs a parent's direct oversight and supervision and control. Why? Because he grows up. He's responsible. He's able to make his own decisions uh, to do right uh, and to avoid wrong. They've come to a place of maturity, uh, of critical freedom. Uh, He or she has come to a place where their heart is wise. On the overhead, there's a kind of parenting that wants to control all the time. On the other extreme, there's a kind of parenting that just wants to be your friend and give emotional warmth. The traditional model of control uh, and the modern model of, of, of just being your kid's friend, they're both wrong. Because in both situations, you're not letting your child grow up. In the control approach, you don't let them grow up at all. In the emotional warmth approach, you don't train them up at all. But the purpose of biblical parenting is to get the child to the place where they no longer need your direct authority and supervision And you want to inculcate your teaching into their lives and get it down into them deeply so they can eventually get to this place. Proverbs 23, 15. My son, when your heart is wise, my heart rejoices. That's the way a wise biblical parent should think. The purpose of parenting is not to get yourself a retirement plan. (laughs) The purpose of parenting is not to get yourself servants. The purpose of parenting is not to get yourself lifetime caretakers who will always fawn over you. The purpose of parenting is to get them to a place where you see that their heart is wise. 
My son, when your heart is wise, my heart rejoices. You want to get them to a place where all your children need to give you is honor and respect and love. Not the same type of obedience that they were required to give you as a small child or as a teenager. Because they're now mature adults who are no longer under a schoolmaster or a guardian. And the overhead. So that is number one, uh, what a family is. It's based on a covenant. And its purpose is teaching and learning and training that child up in the way he should go. Training him or her up into biblical wisdom. Now on the overhead, lastly, how does a family operate? Uh, first of all, parents are required to do two things, and children are required to do two things. So on the overhead, what do parents have to do? Two things, discipline and love. We said the teaching was the goal for parents to instruct their children, but they must be, this must be done through discipline and love. And you must have both, two sides of the same coin. Look at Proverbs twenty-three fourteen. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. A lot of modern people don't like this verse. (laughs) They're very unhappy with the idea of parental authority and discipline. But the Bible says it's absolutely critical for you parents to exert this authority, but do it in a godly, measured way, administered in love and not in anger. I recently heard a true account of a young teenage girl, 15, 16 years old, attending a youth group at her local Messianic congregation. Uh, and uh, she drifted away from, from, from the congregation, uh, from the youth group. And one day, she was found dead in a park. She had gone out with some shady guy from her public school. He tried to take advantage of her one night in the park, and she resisted, and he strangled her. And when the Messianic rabbi uh, sat down with his family, he discovered that they had given, all, given this girl, their daughter, all this emotional warmth, Uh, given her finances, but she had no limits, no punishment, no discipline uh, with teeth in it. And over the next few years, after this terrible tragedy, this family finally began to grow in the Lord. And one day, the mother came to these verses in Proverbs. She was just reading it in her quiet time. But Proverbs 23, 13, don't withhold discipline from your child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod, and save them from death. And she suddenly realized what she had done in raising her daughter. And she wept and she repented. You need to give your children both discipline and love. One without the other will not work. Without discipline and authority, they'll have no boundaries to protect them. But without love and kindness... But it's going to rebel against your harsh discipline. You need both in the proper biblical context and balance for teaching your children the word of God. Proverbs 23, 24. The father of a righteous child has great joy. He who fathers a wise son delights in him. All throughout Proverbs 23, you're going to see love is, is there. We woven throughout the entire chapter. Now, some of you may have had a harsh father, uh, a difficult father. An unloving father. Colossians three twenty one warns the warns the fathers. Fathers, don't embitter, or provoke, or exasperate your children. They'll become discouraged. By the way, the Greek word here for embitter literally means to challenge to a boxing match. <laughs> it 
It's easy for parents to get in battles of the will with their kids. But our relationship with our children should not be boxing matches. It should, it should not be just a dynamic where you're simply trying to get power over your kids and control them. You show them who's the boss. Martin Luther wrote this on the overhead. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Yes, it's true. But besides the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. <laughs> you can really embitter your children if your main emphasis is always discipline and authority and not at least equal parts, love and kindness, and developing a real relationship with your children. These are two things you as parents must have in balance, discipline and love, in order to properly raise your children. Now, on the overhead, what do the children have to do? Number one, children must honor their parents. Note the fifth commandment does not actually say, obey your mother and father, although obviously children must obey their parents. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother, Why? Because this is a lifetime commitment and obligation. But obeying your mother and father, yes, that's true when children are younger, when they're teenagers, when they're living at home, but not when they're full-grown adults, living on their own. They're married. They have their own households. The one lifetime, lifelong thing the Bible requires of children for their parents is honor. It doesn't always require obedience for their whole life. But children are commanded to honor their mother and their father. And the overhead. Note that that honor is not an emotion that comes and goes. Honor is a moral choice. When you honor your parents, you're honoring the God behind your parents. And when you honor your father and your mother, you're you're honoring the family, the institution on which God has said all society is to turn. You honor your parents regardless of whether or not you have to obey them. Because honoring your father and your mother is one of the ways you honor God. One of the ways you show you're honoring God. And if you don't honor your mother and your father, the Bible says you will not live a long and happy life. So treat your parents with respect. Treat them with significance. And the overhead. Secondly, you who are children can honor your parents best by growing up. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but rather bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, you are to bring your children up. As we discussed earlier, one of the purposes of good parenting is to bring your children to a place where they don't need you anymore as their primary teacher and authority. Now, no parent has ever perfectly loved their children. Uh, Commentator J.I. Packer says, the kind of love we really need is the love that's completely accepting and completely unconditional and yet never puts up with self-destructive behavior. He says what we want is is to be completely accepted, to be completely, unconditionally loved, but what's never never puts up with destructive behavior, self-destructive behavior. That's the kind of love we want. But but J.I. Packer, he says, no parent is perfectly capable of that. Did you have parents that loved you unconditionally, never withheld their love from you, But also, we're very careful never to let you get away with self-destructive behavior and sin and rebellion. There's no 100% perfect parent. And for many of you, uh, uh, come out uh, into adulthood feeling like, well, I've not been properly loved. The only way you're going to grow up and not be dependent on your parents anymore 
is if you see that through Yeshua, you can have perfect parental love, regardless of what type of parent, earthly parents you had. First John, I'm sorry, uh, John 17, 23, Yeshua says, Father, I want you to love them even as you have loved me. Through Yeshua, you can have and experience this perfect love. Do you get excited when you read this, when you hear this? Is this how you relate to God? Knowing that in Yeshua, God loves you like that? Does your heart leap when you hear this? This is astounding. Do you know what it's like uh, to rejoice in your adoption as sons and daughters of the living God? Do you know what it's like for your heart to be overwhelmed with this unconditional acceptance of the Lord for you? If you're in Messiah Yeshua, have you experienced that? I hope so. I urge you to pursue it diligently. If not, if you have not experienced the love of God in Messiah Yeshua, you will never grow up. You'll either spend the rest of your life idolizing your parents, if they were good parents, or being bitter against them, if they were bad parents, and you'd be constantly weeping over the fact that you can't accept yourself because your parents didn't give you the kind of love that they should have given you. But no parent can give you that perfect, ultimate kind of love. Only Yeshua can. You'll never grow up. You'll never be able to properly honor your parents unless you're able uh, to look at them and say to them, you're no longer God to me. You were God to me when I was little. That's how families were built. That's how society is built. Uh, When you were young, your parents originally stood in the place of God for you. If they said you were great, you were great. (laughs) If they said you were ugly, you were ugly. The only way to be able to honor your parents and grow up and one day leave and form your own household and continue to honor and love them the rest of your life is to say, you used to be God for me, but that stage has passed. You have properly raised me. Uh, and now I thank you for being godly parents. And I can function on my own in a God-honoring, Yeshua-following way. Too many people spend their lives messed up and dysfunctional and upset because they didn't get the love they wanted from their parents or the acceptance they wanted. And a lot of sexual immorality stems from this, by the way. Looking for love and acceptance because my parents never gave it to me. See, look for it in other places. In the wrong places. They haven't grown up. You haven't come to a place of godly wisdom. Proverbs 23, 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. To grow in maturity, you need to honor Yeshua. You need to hear him say, again in John 17, 23, Father, love them, even as you've loved me. John 1, verse 12. To, many who, to as many who received him, to as many who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Come home to your heavenly Father through his son, Yeshua. Come home to the ultimate divine Father who can truly enable you to love and honor and obey your earthly parents. Amen. Let's stand and pray. I'd like the music team to come on up. Father, we thank you today for these timeless truths on the family and parenting and and honoring our father and our mother. Indeed, you tell us that if the family breaks down, society breaks down. And that's exactly, Lord, what we're seeing in in America today. 
Thank you for showing us that the family is meant to be a learning community. Both kind of covenant of lifetime loyalty. It's meant to uh, disciple the children, God willing, becoming Yeshua followers. Where we're adopted into your family, Lord, the ultimate family. Lord, for we here today who are parents and we here today who are future parents, help us to teach our children the gospel, the supremacy of Yeshua, to catechize them, to teach them the scriptures and biblical values and right and wrong and godly character and the fruit of the Spirit and what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. And in teaching them, help us to do this through showing them both discipline and love. Uh, Because without discipline, there's no boundaries. Without love, they're just going to rebel against our harshness. We're commanded as parents not to provoke or to embitter our children. So, Lord, help us to keep love and godly discipline in proper biblical balance. And for all of us here, Lord, who are children, and of course, all of us are children, (laughs) help us to honor our father and our mother. Lord, help us to honor you by honoring our parents. Lord, help us to see you, Lord, as the perfect heavenly father. That if, we're, if we are reborn through truly trusting in Yeshua and filled with his spirit, you adopt us into your family. And you love us even as you've loved Yeshua himself. Lord, burn these truths into our heart today. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Amen.